Please take your Bible tonight to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, I'm going to begin the sermon with a word of prayer. And at this point, I would also ask you to, while I'm praying, I'd ask you to um, pray a prayer as well. And in your prayer, please ask the Lord to open your heart to whatever the Lord has for you tonight. Ask Him to speak directly to you, not to your neighbor, not to your friend, not to anybody but you. And I believe if we'll come with a prepared heart, the Lord will give us something special. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you greatly for this church that you've prepared for us. Lord, these members that have come to hear your word preached, and more importantly, Lord, worship you through the preaching and singing. Father, I pray tonight that you would work and you would move. Lord, I stand here almost uh, very aware of my insufficiencies in this matter of preaching and conveying spiritual messages very aware of my limitations and my incapabilities, but Lord, I know through your spirit you can deliver a message to hearts and do something spectacular. Lord, the room in front of me is composed of people who have needs, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and Father, I pray with all my heart that through this night Through this sermon, you would speak to meeting each and every one of those needs. Lord, I pray for every person who is currently now asking you to open their hearts, that they may readily receive what you would have for them tonight. And Lord, as they've humbly come to you and asked that you would give them something, I pray that you would answer that. Lord, I pray that you do something special something remarkable tonight that would be memorable long after we dismiss, something that would change people, not temporarily, not till Monday morning comes and we clock into work. But, Father, I pray that the results of this service tonight would linger long after we've wept and that you, through your word, would do something that we as humans couldn't even understand. And I pray that you'd convey the message through me, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 7, verse number 14 tonight. We'll begin reading Exodus 7, verse 14. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water. And thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt, shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, And this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, And they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. And the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood. 
and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. Now I want to talk to you tonight on this one singular thought, cookie-cutter Christianity. Now I understand that you may not fully comprehend where I'm coming with, from with that title, especially seeing how the text doesn't really talk about Christianity of any sort. But I do want to speak to this thought, how Pharaoh was trying to do something with Israel that God did not want done. We've talked in great depth and detail about how Israel was currently serving Egypt. They were building monuments and they were building pyramids and they were in slavery. Now that was not God's plan and God was trying to deliver them from this bondage now. God's plan was them, for them to inherit the land of milk and honey, uh, the land of Canaan. And that's where God wanted them. And Pharaoh, with a hard hand, even though he was told and warned by Moses, said, I will not let the people go. Now, can I ask you why he would do that? Why he would subjugate the people when God was warning him against it? Can I ask you this question as well? If the world were to have the ability to make a Christian, if they could craft it and, and, and put in it the signature marks that they would be pleased with and that they would be okay with, what would they make that person like? The other day, myself and Ethan Gerald were knocking doors. We were going down the road, and we had... Uh, had visit after visit of people that were not home, and we finally got to this one fellow's house, and he opened the door rather quickly, actually, and I said, hi, my name is Andrew, and before I got my last name out, he goes, at 11 o'clock in the morning, man, I just woke up, and slammed the door in our face. And Ethan Gerald looked up at me, you know, with the innocency that Ethan Gerald can often provide, looked up at me and says, well, that's never happened to me before. <laughs> and it was funny. I understand the man being a little put out with us waking him up. Maybe he works late, and I don't know his particular situation. But truth be told, that was not at all my first time to have somebody reject me at their door. Many times you'll go throughout the community and you'll see signs that say, no soliciting. This includes Christians, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims. One time I was in Lancaster, California, knocking doors for Lancaster Baptist Church, and it said... And yes, this includes you, Lancaster Baptist Church members. <laughs> and so uh, it's just kind of comical. But truth be told, the world does not like our Christianity being so flamboyant. 
In fact, they'd much rather it be subdued. They'd rather us just kind of put up and shut up as opposed to being out loud with our Christianity. So I pose the question again, if the world had the opportunity to make the perfect Christian, one that pleased them all the time, one that made them happy, with, that they could live with and be around, maybe work with, what would that Christian look like? Would he look like you? I, I really believe tonight that the world is trying to conform us to something that they can put up with. They're trying to dumb down our message and silence our message and silence our zeal for Christianity so much. And and the bad thing is, they're very successful. And they're making great strides to just shutting us up. And I feel like we may be getting closer to the perfect world Christian. If the world was to craft a Christian, I would think that these three things that we find in our passage tonight would take place. First of all, I want you to notice what Pharaoh did to form the perfect nation of Israel in his mind. First of all, they would want to reduce our worship. Now, I've said this several times throughout this little lesson series that we've been going through, but God has not revealed to Pharaoh yet that he wants the children of Israel to be totally delivered from captivity. In fact, I want you to take your Bible to chapter 5, the book of Exodus. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter 5, verse number 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, I'll wait for you to get there so you can see what I'm talking about. The Bible says, And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Okay, he's going to deliver the message from God to Pharaoh. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Now, God and and Moses at this point are not asking Pharaoh to completely alleviate the, the slavery that Israel is now in. He's not asking for that. All Moses has now revealed to Pharaoh is, God wants us to go just a few days' journey into the wilderness and hold a feast unto him. And then we'll come back. And then, verse number 2, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, just three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens." So we can plainly see that Pharaoh has an issue with the children of Israel going any distance to worship their God. The the, the request by Moses is simply this. Hey, Pharaoh, can we just take a break? Just just a little retreat, if you will. We're just going to go three days into the journey. We're going to get away from Egypt just for a little while. We're going to sacrifice to our Lord. We're going to hold a revival meeting, if you will, just kind of get back on track spiritually, just to charge the, the children of Israel. And Pharaoh goes, who is this God you're speaking of? I don't know this God. Why, why should I, Pharaoh, let you go to worship your God? Well, he didn't want them to get closer to God. He, he would say, I don't know this God that you speak of. 
There's this idea that the world is trying to pass us. I want us to be very aware of it, that as long as we'll, as long as we'll kind of not force our message down their throat, then they won't force theirs down our throat. And I'm sorry to say that's just simply not the case. Have you ever noticed that the people who scream the most loudly for uh, uh, indiscrimination and tolerance are the people who extend the least amount of those things? I was watching this week on the news, and I rarely watch the news. The only reason I watched it this particular time was a show that me and Amy generally watch had just gone off, and I was fast-forwarding to delete that show off of our uh, uh, DVR, and... Uh, It just so happened that I saw a news story that caught my eye. And to be honest with you, I saw a pickup truck with a mossy oak sticker on the back of it. So I stopped to watch the the commercial. And as I was watching the the, the news there, as I was watching it, I rewound it and started at the very beginning. And this is what had happened. Maybe some of you saw this this week. But a young man in Whitney, Texas, um, put on his truck... Police Lives Matter. That's all he wrote. In fact, uh, the news story suggested and, 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 and reported that the young man wants to become a police officer. And that's what he wants to do. He's training for that now, even as a young man. And, and on the back of the pickup truck, uh, it said, Police Lives Matter. Now they just parked the truck in the driveway. And the, the next thing they know, they wake up and... The truck has been vandalized. They've broken into the truck. I think they stole several things like a DVD player and some other things within the truck. Um, the, the man that is the owner of the truck, the family only owns one truck. And uh, they, he said that the truck had been totaled. So there was so much damage that it had been totaled. They destroyed everything. They took knives to the seats and just ruined the upholstery on the seats. They took keys down the side of the car and just keyed the car. And in black spray paint, they wrote this, Black Lives Matter. As to say, police lives don't, but blacks lives do. Now, as a, just from a strictly human standpoint, do not all lives matter? I think there is a sanctity of life that, Even the most just debased person has to admit to there's something special about life. It's a miracle when life occurs. It's it's unique. And while our world is taking some of the sanctity of life away by just saying, well, we can kill as many babies as we want to, and it doesn't really matter, and as long as we save several animals through the year. uh, But there is this idea in culture that lives are not important. But can we all just agree on a very baseline that all lives matter? Whether it's black, whether it's white, whether it's Indian, it does not matter. All lives matter. No matter what your occupation, no matter what your or a sexual orientation, all lives matter. And we as Christians have to believe that. But the message that they wrote on that truck was this. Our message is better than your message. Our message is more important than your message. Police lives don't matter because blacks' lives do matter more. That was the message that he was sending. Do you know the world's trying to tell us the same thing? Our message is more important than your message. 
Our preferences are more important than your preferences. Your preferences are old, they're outdated, they're archaic, while ours are new, they're modern, they're acceptable. And everybody needs to conform to our methods and our ideology, and yours is just old. And they say ours is better. See, Pharaoh was trying to tell the children of Israel here, you just need to adapt to the culture and the climate that you're in and just deal with it, Moses. Is that not what he says? He says, get you back to work. Just just put your nose to the grindstone and stop worrying about all this fancy worship you speak of. Just, just do what I'm telling you to do. And that's the message the world is screaming at us today. We are considered the minority now because we hold to a certain belief structure that is contained within that book. We're, we're uh, uneducated because we believe that a certain amount of animals could have actually fit into the ark. We're, we're ignorant because we think that a worldwide flood actually occurred. And we're just simply uneducated because obviously evolution has much more evidence to support it than creationism. And we're just, we're just out of touch with reality. And that's the message that they're screaming at us. Look, the first step to becoming a cookie-cutter Christian in the world's mind is... How about you just stop caring so much about worship? Stop caring about church. After all, every time you dress up your family and you get in your truck on Sunday morning and I'm outside mowing my grass, it kind of makes me feel bad. So you just just quiet down. In fact, don't even post anything on social media about God and about this religion thing. I mean... I'm just fed up with it, so I'll just live my life. You live your life, but live your life silently. The world's shouting this, and we're, we're fools if we cannot see that. They're screaming at us, silence, 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 and yet they are as vocal as any about their message and their calls. It's a shame. And what's more a shame is, it's working. People do not care as much about worship anymore. People think that church, if you have to go more than one time a week, is simply outdated. And and not needed at all. You say, prove it, Brother Andrew. Look around. This church was completely full in the morning service. There was barely any seats on the bottom floor. And I'm talking about this is opening day of Cowboys. And there were still no seats in the floor. There were some seats in the balcony, but I'm telling you, there's, there's very few people in the balcony tonight. You're telling me you cannot see that the world has told us and sold us this bill of goods, and unfortunately, some churches are selling it. Oh, just give us one time a week. It's not, not that big a deal. And if we, as the, the backbone of this church, the, the, the pillars of this church... If we are not aware of what's going on, sooner or later, we will find ourselves missing church. Well, tonight's an important night because it's opening night of Cowboys, but where will you be the night of the Super Bowl? I mean, that's the biggest sporting event in, in the world when it comes to American sports. I mean, we just look at it and we just, man, we've got to be able to miss church for that if we're going to miss it for anything. Man, the world's working. Their message is getting through, and and unfortunately, they're just stamping out the types of Christians that they want 
when we stop caring about the worship of God. You know what? You can never reach your full potential as a Christian, and really you can't even consider yourself a Christian until you're willing to commit to Christ and His church. Christ is revealing Himself to this dispensation in this age through His church, and yet people tonight are more worried about whatever that's going on in the world than meeting with Jesus. They'll remove our worship. And it's just very unfortunate because the world does not like us. The world doesn't want good for us. It's not trying to make us a better person by getting us to silence. Jesus said these words, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would uh, love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the words that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And unfortunately, Christians are buying into this ideology and this worldly mindset that we can just forsake our personal worship of God for whatever is more important to us at that present moment. The first thing that the world will do if they're going to cookie-cut our Christianity is they will want to reduce our worship. Secondly, they will want to ruin our world. Look at verse 22. Now, out of all the things in this passage, this is the one that has befuddled me the longest. I never understood what's about to go on. In chapter 7, verse number 22, the water has been turned to blood. And if you read the passage, as far as I can tell, a vast majority of the water in Egypt has been turned to blood. Not only the river, of uh, the Nile River, but also the ponds, the streams, anything that it might feed. Then it goes on to say, and any water that's contained with wood or anything that's contained within, uh, uh, I, I believe it's marble, uh, or vessels of stone, any vessels, any pond, any stream, any river, all of them would be turned into blood. Now, here's what just, just I don't understand. Would then water not become precious? I mean, you could almost buy and sell and trade in it because it would be the most valuable thing at the time. You need water to live, and so water would become very precious. Now look at verse 22. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Now what's that talking about? Well, we learned uh, in, in last week's sermon that when Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, that Moses, or Aaron technically, cast down the, the, the rod, and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh, at first, I believe, was kind of, wow. And as soon as they did that, the magicians and the, the, uh, uh, of Egypt, they threw down their rods, and they all became serpents as well. And their serpents were consumed by the serpent that the rod of Aaron was, if, that makes, if everybody's following me on that train of thought. Okay, I'm a little hyper tonight, so I might not be completely clearly conveying the message, but that's what happened. This is better. Aaron, rod, snake, magicians, rod, no, just snakes, and then he eats them. So that's how it goes. Great. And I believe they were trying to do that to prove to Pharaoh. They were just saying, you know, Pharaoh, that's not that big a deal. We can do that too. 
Okay, I understand that because there was no shortage of rods in Egypt. But now that all the water in Egypt has been turned to blood, they're just trying to prove a point. And they come to Pharaoh, and I don't know if they had to travel a great distance to uh, receive, uh, uh, find this water. I don't know if they had to have something that was not in a wooden vessel or a, a, a stone vessel. I don't know where they found it, but they have some water. And they come in with a small amount of water. And instead of saying, here, Pharaoh, we better store this up, they say, look what I can do. And they turn some of the only water left in Egypt to blood and just say, ha, told you so. Moses, your, your trick's not that cool because we can do it as well. Is that not a little confusing as to why they would do that? In a very literal sense, they made their world harder to live in just to prove a point. And in a very spiritual sense, our world is trying to make it harder for us to live in just to prove a point. You say, what do you mean? Does it seem like the lyrics of music have become violently more immoral now than they used to be? Elvis Presley was considered cutting edge in his day. He's talking about uh, the jailhouse blues and uh, blue suede shoes and and everybody, Elvis is of the devil. You want to know the lyrics of the songs they're singing about now? They are obnoxiously immoral. Frankly, and I, I deal with the teenagers all the time. I, I preach to the teenagers all the time. I mean, I go to activities with the teenagers, and I see the teenagers singing some of these songs. And I'm not preaching against music tonight because I love music. Man, it will brighten your day when you're needing it some, sometime. But some of the lyrics that our kids are singing, if you have no problem with secular music, parents, Just try listening to some of the things those songs are talking about. And if you still have no problem with them, then you're just crazy. I'm not preaching against secular music. Please don't misunderstand me. But I am preaching against music that has worldly themes and worldly uh, values. and, And at its very core is saying, sin, 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 who cares about God? I say, that's wrong. And, uh, and we think, we just kind of have ignored the fact, we just kind of turned our back to the fact that increasingly, and it almost seems like the world is just doing it to rub it in our noses, people are getting more violently wicked. Here's the thing. I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm kind of getting off track. I know I'm on a rabbit trail that justifies the rabbit trail I'm on, okay? So... Don't worry about it. I was thinking the other day, long ago homosexuality was considered the just vilest offense that could ever happen. Right? Everybody, it it just, nobody knew them, and the ones that were homosexual just, they did not come out for fear of just rejection and, and utter humiliation. Now our world is actually quite okay with it. In fact, we have to all agree, we are traditionalists and fundamentals, and not fundamentalist in a good way like we think of the word. We're like jihadist in the way that we think and, and, and believe on the subject matter of homosexuality. 
If our world has progressed that way, what makes it wrong in many years for a child to be off limits? I mean, looking back 50 years ago, nobody thought homosexuality would be okay. What makes us think in another 50 years, bestiality will not be acceptable? And there will not be people on the steps of our Congress, uh, congressman's uh, uh, residence and, and people uh, petitioning a, a, in front of Washington, D.C., saying, I love my dog more than you do. What's wrong with me? You say, that would never happen. Let's think forward a little bit. You understand if we don't draw lines, and we've never been the ones to make moral laws. We couldn't agree on moral laws. That's why God gave us his law, is because it's his standard we must meet. Men will progressively get worse, and they will increasingly draw farther away from God. And if Jesus Christ does not come back, I promise you people will start loving their animals, and they'll be at the altar with their cat saying, I do. You think I'm crazy, but I promise you, that's our world. They get so far away from God, and it's almost like they look at us and just say, there, I did it. See? Walking through the mall the other day with my wife, trying to induce labor, um, uh, just having a date. We're walking through the mall the other day, just trying to have a good time with me and my wife. And, And I'm looking at Foot Locker and shoe stores and going into lids. That's a hat store, trying to find a, a, a hat that I like. And walking through the store and plastered in a glass window is a picture that could be considered pornography. Just inappropriate. And I'm thinking, this is where our teenagers come and hang out? There's no one checking identification at the door of that store. They can walk in and view all that they want to. Our world is getting so far away from anything that resembles a godly lifestyle. And what we can't do as Christians is expect sinners to act like godly people. This is the nature of uh, of a wicked man. This is the nature of a child of wrath. They are trying to... Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. No man sought good. No man sought the Lord. They continually will increasingly get farther and farther away from God. And all the while, the world that we live in as Christians goes along with them. And it's getting harder for us to find a refreshing drink of water. It's getting harder for us to find friends who we can invite over. It's getting harder for us to let our kids go to an after party for a little peewee game. It's harder for us to let our kids go over there because the stuff that's going on at the peewee party. Not with the kids, with the adults. Let's get real, people. The world is trying to dumb us down and round our edges off so that we're not so abrasive but their message is as flamboyant as it's ever been. Man, I hate this world. Don't you? I'm glad this world's not my home because if this all there is worth living for, I don't want to live. I'm glad I can look forward to a Savior one day who will 
redeem me from this fallen, wicked world. I'm glad that one day I'll look at my Jesus and I'll say, you were every bit worth what you were asking me to do. Man, I hate this world. And I just wanted to preach on the world because I hate it. I hope you do too. Man, this world is just so wicked. 1 John 2 verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. There's nothing good about this world. Simply watching television used to be a pleasurable experience with your family. Just You'd be watching a, a ball game. You'd be watching Clifford the Big Red Dog. And all of a sudden, that's good programming. You get to the commercials and you're what? What? There's nothing about this world that a Christian ought to love. We get so attracted to things that have nothing to do with God, and it's just a shame the strategy of this world is working. They're trying to wreck our world. Thirdly, if the world were to form this perfect little Christian, the one that they could live with, the one that they could get along with, they will always revile our warning. Look at verse 23, and we're done. Pharaoh, after seeing the magicians, turned the little bit of water into blood. Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. Now, this is the second miracle by Moses that Pharaoh has just simply turned a blind eye to him like, you're a lunatic, Moses. Stop talking to me. You ever feel that way? that the world is just calling us lunatics for what we believe. And what I find funny is we're in the ignorant crowd when we don't believe in necessarily aliens and, uh, uh, you know, a comet going to destroy this world, but they can believe whatever they want, and they're they're okay. That's just me. Maybe I'm preaching in the flesh tonight. I'm sorry if I am. But we are so intimidated by approaching someone and telling them about Jesus, or even not necessarily saying, hey, if you died today, are you sure you're on your way to heaven? No, not even saying that. We're intimidated by just simply saying this, well, I can't come Sunday because I have church. And I can't do Sunday night because I actually have church twice that day. (laughs) What? You crazy? Well, my church is a little crazy, so I go. And we're just so ashamed of sharing our message. And I know why Moses was a little, uh, I don't know, why he was a little, uh, uh, not hindered, but he had apprehensions to going and, and sharing with Pharaoh the message. At the end of the day, Pharaoh could have said, off with his head, and, and Moses would have been done. And Moses is thinking, well, Lord, I already delivered the message once. And God says, no, I need you to deliver it again, and I'm going to empower you with some of these miracles. And Pharaoh still's not going to listen and And ten miracles later, finally he'll get the message. And Moses had to go one, two, three, four, five, knowing all well that Moses was going to, or Pharaoh was going to reject his message every time. You ever seen those people standing on the street corner with a sign, a cardboard sign? It's usually with ropes as straps holding a front and a back. And the front says, the end is near. and, And the back says, judgment day is coming. And we look at them, and they usually have crazy hair like they just got out of bed. They generally look like they're on drugs. They smell just obnoxious, and we look at them and we're like, well, gross. Sometimes I wonder if that's not what we're afraid of becoming. 
We're afraid of becoming the person who's always talking about Judgment Day and, and the end of the world. And, 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 you know, if we were to really share our beliefs that one day Jesus was going to come back on a, a white horse and he's going to rule this world and he'd be accompanied by a host of angels. And, and we, we, we fear that we may become this lunatic. But did you know what? Sometimes I think the lunatic is more right than we are. Because at least he's sharing some bit of truth. Truth is, we're not so far away from the world anymore. I tell you what, we're closer today than we were when my dad started preaching. And you say, well, that's obvious. Well, I needed to say something true tonight, so I just said that. We're getting... And I don't know, maybe, maybe, I know preachers have said this for years and years and years. Well, the signs of the times, man, look around. The Bible's picture of what takes place in the latter times, boy, it sure looks like I could point out everything. We had an earthquake in Godly the other day. Man, there's pestilence, there's rumors of wars, and it just seems like, Jesus literally could be on the next cloud any moment. But heaven forbid we become the lunatic. You know, going up to somebody and say, hey, you know what, one day Jesus is going to come back, and if he were to come back, do you know if you'd know him? We don't want to be associated with a guy that has a sign in the bed hair. Well, okay, just get a sign and fix your hair, then it'll be totally different. We're fear of, of just being lumped into this crowd that is crazy. But at the end of the day, is not our message life-altering crazy? Is it not crazy that God would come to this world and die for me? Is it not crazy that despite you knowing you at your worst, God knows you better than that? And God came to this earth and died for you. Is that not a little mind-boggling? That's a message worth sharing, but we're afraid of being identified with something. You know what else we're afraid of? Rejection. We're afraid that when someone shuts a door in our face, they're saying, your message, your lifestyle, everything about you, I detest. So I'm slamming that door. We're afraid of that. You know what? Rejection has always been something we've dealt with. How many of you remember the first girl or the first guy you had a crush on in elementary school? Did you walk up to that person and say, hey, uh, do you like me? That's not generally how it plays out. How does it play out, right? Well, this is how it played out for me. I went to my friend. I said, hey, can you go over and see if uh, Christy likes me? You say, is Christy a real person? I don't know. <laughs> Cody probably knows, and Cody's shaking his head, but <laughs> Cody's up there. Hey, man, it's, she's real. She's real. Hey, will you go up to Christy and see if she likes me? Well, why didn't you go up? Well, because you didn't want her to say no. And if, you, if she said no, hey, Christy, do you like me? Well, no. Well, this is a beautiful weather we're having, right? <laughs> There's no good response to no. And we're so afraid of being rejected. So what do we do? We send our friend. He's our ambassador, right? He goes and says, hey, my, my buddy, he's a pretty strong guy. You know, you probably saw him. He was like super fast track today. Yeah, totally blew, away, blew us all away. Yeah, he's good. Okay, and, you know, he's your wingman. 
He talks you up like you're some stud. He's like, did you see the other day at the pep rally he won the spirit stick? Yeah, he's that cool. And he's talking you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like y'all ain't never been there. Oh, you never won the spirit stick? I did. Yeah, I did. And, and, and you get your friend to go up to Christie and, hey, uh, yeah, you saw him. He's a cool guy. Yeah, I love him, man. We're, we're tight. Hey, Chrissy, you ever thought about, like, do you like him? Well, I mean, I don't like him. No, 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 no. Not do you like him. I, I like him. Do you like, like him? Right? And Christy tells him yes or no. And then Cody, my weak man, no, 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 comes back. Dude, she is not about you, but I got her number, so you're a terrible wingman. Right? What do we do? We're so afraid of rejection, we send somebody for it. Did you know that's not, that's not far from what God's done with us? God's not afraid of rejection. There will be a world of people that reject him. But did you know that you are his ambassador? Did you know that when somebody rejects the Lord, they're not rejecting you? Just like if Cody were to be my wingman, he goes up to Chris. Well, it doesn't really matter if she says yes or no. It should not matter to you whether or not people say yes or no. You ought to just care about their eternity. You ought to care about them as a human. You ought to understand that this thing we believe is a very real thing. As real as we are sitting here today, Christ will one day return. And only the people who have been bought by His precious blood will go with Him. And at that moment, when they say, no, I don't want to know Jesus. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the sinless Son of God who died for them. But at least you were the ambassador. Man, it's just a shame. Like in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the Lord comes to Jeremiah and tells him that he basically anointed him from his mother's womb to be his, to be his preacher, to, to preach righteousness. And God had selected him for this great mission and and uh, Jeremiah looks at God and says, Oh, Lord God, but I, I am a youth. I, I can't go. And he kind of has that moment like Moses had. And God says these words, Be not afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of what people may think about you. Don't, don't be afraid of what people may say to you. At the end of the day, my mission is so much more important than their little uh, desires and their little concerns and cares. All that matters is that we as Christians do what God has asked us to do, but we're too busy conforming to the cookie-cutter Christian the world's making and not caring at all about the Christian that God's trying to make. If the world has its chance, it'll turn you into a Christian who doesn't love to worship the Lord, doesn't love to worship the Lord in a collective gathering like this, and definitely doesn't worship the Lord in a private closet. After all, that's outdated. This world, if it has its choice, will take you and make you live in the just most wicked society ever. Make you feel like you don't have real principles. You, your, your, your ideology is outdated. They're, they're going to look at this book and say, the book you read from doesn't even sound like it was written within this decade, so why should we listen to you? They're going to make this world wicked and vile. And then at the moment, you finally muster up the courage to go up to one of them and say, hey, I've got a message. I've got some good news. You know what the world's going to do to just finally cut your knees from out from under you? 
They're going to make you feel so silly for sharing the message of Christ, they're not going to heed your warning at all. Like Pharaoh, Moses, get back to work. I'm afraid there's more Christians that are not worshiping, living and looking like a wicked world, and not sharing the warning that Christ has called us to give than there are people that are doing those things. After all, I look at the auditorium tonight and it breaks my heart. Cowboys barely kicked off five minutes ago. We're about to get out of church, and they missed meeting with God for that. What a shame. 